0: Good morning. I was about to, um, th- this this whole row here was just was about to just go off, so I had to just settle down a minute. I know you're feeling that song, but good morning, good morning. Um, man, it feels good. Man, it feels good to be back here. Uh, three weeks, so I, maybe, maybe you guys didn't notice, like, wait, what do you mean? You've been gone for three weeks? Yeah, so we have not been at church for three weeks my work schedule changed and you know uh family situation happened in three weeks and we've missed time here at church and it feels good there's something sweet about being able to worship together about being able to lift up praise with other people towards god like i I don't know if that's just me but i feel like there's something really amazing about that so i just want to say it feels good Thank you for worshiping and for allowing me and my family to worship here as well. So, we've been going through Loyalty and Royalty, the story of Ruth. Those of you who don't know where Ruth is or if this is your first time coming today, uh, Ruth is this small book in the Old Testament. It's sandwiched between Judges and Samuel. And it is significant because it's a book about a female character who's not even Jewish? She's not even Israelite. She's an outsider. She's a foreigner. And this book is powerful, not because of the individual that it focuses on, but because of the story it tells about what God is up to, what God is doing. Now, I wasn't here last week, so I had to listen online. If you guys have not done that, if you missed a Sunday or something and you're like, man, I really wanted to hear what the word was this Sunday. Too bad. Wasn't there. Guess what? Third Street. Has a website and it's ThirdStreetChurch.com. And you go on there and it says sermons and you click the button. And the button takes you to this SoundCloud thing and it starts playing automatically. And you hear Corey go, woo! Right off the bat, because that's what he does like every Sunday he comes up, right? Because he's excited about worship. But you you hit the button and it plays and you get the whole sermon. And I got to listen to Corey preach last week. And so I'm going to give you a little recap for those of you who are here. Bear, bear with me. For those of you who, this is your first time hearing about this, follow along with me. So, Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman, and her story starts with Naomi and Elimelech. Elimelech um, is a fun name to say, uh, but he's the husband to, no- to Naomi. Uh, and they, 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 they leave Bethlehem. They leave Israel because there's a famine there. There's no uh, food. I mean, everybody's kind of just trying to find a way to survive, and they leave Bethlehem, and they go to Moab. They land in Moab, and what happens in Moab is nothing but tragedy for Elimelech and Naomi. Elimelech dies shortly after they arrive, and they take him two sons with them. And their two sons die as well. And so all of a sudden, Naomi is left with these two daughter in laws, Orpah and Ruth, and she has to figure out how to make it with two widowed daughters in law. In that time, it wasn't like, well, I'm a self made woman, let's just go and get it done. Let me get a bank account. Let me go get a job. It wasn't like that. Culturally, to be a widow in that time, you didn't have an inheritance. You didn't have anything to claim as a woman. And so Naomi takes upon herself the name of bitterness. She calls herself Mara, and she says, don't even call me Naomi anymore. It's not my name. My name is Bitterness. And so she takes upon herself this name, and she's going to go back. She finds out things are better back home. So she travels back with Orpah and Ruth, and halfway through, she says, look, you guys need to go back. You can still have children. You can still have someone marry you and take you up as an inheritance. You, you need to go back. Orpah's like, cool, thanks. I'm out. I'm going back. I'm looking for a future. Ruth stays loyal. Ruth says, look, you have been through A lot and I want to be there with you and for you, regardless of what happens. I see that God is up to something in you, even though you don't see it. I see that God is up to something, and I want to go with you. So they go back. They establish a life there as destitute, poor uh, widows, and all they can do to survive is to pick up grain that's left behind by the other people that are harvesting, and that's how they live. But and this is where Corey kind of left off last week, which is God is always up to something. Are you ready for what he's doing? While they're picking up grain in the fields, this man named Boaz comes along. And the first thing we hear about Boaz, everybody say Boaz. 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 There's a lot of fun names in Ruth, too. thought about naming one of our children Boaz. I never told Jordan that. Good thing. Should have probably turned that down. Boaz. He is an upright upstanding, full of character man who's influential and wealthy, and he walks around, and he, 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 he meets people. He goes and talks to people, and he looks and sees Ruth working hard, and he hears what Ruth has done coming back as a foreigner into this land with her mother-in-law, and he says there's something different about this woman, and Boaz takes kindness upon Ruth, takes pity upon her. He's generous with her, and he makes sure to show her look. There is kindness that exists here. God is up to something in you. And I see it. I perceive it. And now I'm going to I'm going to try to be a part of that. And so where we leave where we left off last week, where Corey left off last week was Ruth and Boaz have this encounter. And this book, Ruth, it's talked about a lot as like a like it's almost like the romance, like the rom com, or I guess it's not rom com. It's like the romance, lifetime, you know, like really romantic, oh my goodness, they fell in love, and she fell asleep at his feet, and, 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 and then he said, wait, I gotta go make things right. And I like it's talked about in those, in those tones, but, but Corey hit the point when he said, God is not directing Ruth to Boaz. God is directing Ruth to God. And God is not directing Boaz to Ruth. God is directing Boaz to God. And because they are both being directed to God, their pats cross, and then you have this fantastic byproduct of this romantic redemption. But we're not there yet, right? Well, all we have is this little encounter. Boaz has a party, falls asleep at some grain in the threshing floor, which you're like, why don't you just go to bed? Your house is like, not that far away. But he falls asleep there because it's his land. He can fall asleep wherever he wants. And Ruth... Goes in and she lays at his feet and she basically says, "I want to have your children. I want you to cover me with your blessing." She proposes to him. This is the biblical equivalent of like the bachelor or bachelorette. Which one, which one is it with the girl, bachelor, bachelor? This is like the biblical equivalent as of her giving him a rose. Nobody's feeling that. Nobody? I don't watch that show. What are you talking about? Nope. <laughs> Moving along. Ruth proposes to Boaz and essentially says, I want your family to, be mi- to, to now be linked inextricably forever with my family. And then we see something really cool happen. Boaz, being a man of integrity, says, I want to do that right now, but we're going to do this right And that's where we left off last week. The last line in chapter 3, after Ruth goes back and talks to Naomi and says, Man, the weirdest thing happened. Like, I thought he was, like, I thought we were going to, but then he said, Go home, take this grain, and I'll take care of things. I don't know. And Naomi says, Yes, God is up to something. Just be patient. And I love this line because I wish that there was background music in every scene of our lives. That's how I think like i think maybe it's just because i've been too too Hollywood hollywoodified right i just feel like every epic scene should have like a like a great music soundtrack behind it it never does though and it's oh, i wish it did in this scene naomi says just be patient go with me here just be patient the man won't rest until this matter is taken care of It's like boom Doesn't that, I feel like that just would do it. I don't know. For me, that would do it. Maybe not for y'all, but that would do it for me. So I imagine in my mind this soundtrack, and that's where chapter 3 ends, and we find ourselves this week in chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you, please take them out. If you have your electronic devices to follow along, please take them out. Turn to Ruth chapter 4. We're going to go through verse 1 to 11. If you do not have either of those with you, they will be up on the screen. So, One important thing I want to jump into here real quick, um, I want to clarify, when you're reading scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we have a tendency sometimes to look at these stories as isolated incidents, right? We look at it with, this is a story, it's got some weird things in it, I don't understand. Uh, Okay, moving on. The problem is we're looking at it from a Western mindset. We're viewing the scripture we're reading from a Western framework. Now, that's nothing you can, you, you can't help that. The only problem is if you don't dig any deeper, that's where you'll be stuck. If you don't look into the cultural implications of what's actually being said in the Scripture, you'll be lost as to what you're reading. See, in Ruth, there's all kinds of little nuances and little things that are put in the Scriptures that mean a lot. And if you're not willing to dig a little deeper, you might might miss something. And so I'm going to dig into a little bit of those things as we go through, but I encourage you to go back, look at Ruth chapter 4 do some commentary study, do some, a little bit deeper Bible reading for yourself to build yourself up so you understand what God is actually doing, because there's always some connection to the bigger picture, the bigger God story of Jesus and redemption and resurrection and new life. There's always some tie to that. That's how God works in scripture. And so as we begin, I want you to keep that in mind. All right, so Ruth chapter 4. So what we see here is Boaz, went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came, came by, so Boaz called out to him. Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, All right, I'll redeem it. So, stop right there. So, the last line was the man won't rest until he has settled things today. The very next line, we see Boaz very clearly not resting and presumably going to handle the matter today boaz goes to sit at the town gate now you might think well that doesn't seem like action he's not doing anything well the town gate at this time was the place where all kinds of business was conducted if you were an important person in the town you went to the town gate you couldn't just have some commoner coming up like hey i'm coming to the town gate i want to call a meeting no no get down you're not distinguished enough you're not honorable enough sit down stop talking that's what, that's what would happen to you. Boaz, as we've already talked about, he is a man who is influential, he is wealthy, he is distinguished, he's honorable. People know Boaz, and so when they see him go to the town gate, they're like, okay, something's up, because I'm thinking Boaz walks up with purpose. like He's like, I am, I am up to God's business and nobody's going to step in my way. He goes up and he sits down, and as he sits down, people take notice and they start to drift towards him. This scene is really important because as Boaz is calling out to this other redeemer, we get introduced to this other person, this other character. He is the closer redeemer. This is the person he's talking about. What this means is that Boaz, as he has said before, like, hey, there's someone here who actually, actually should be the one who marries you, not me. And he calls this person out, but the text does not mention the person's name. I wonder why. I looked into it, and the translation, the ancient Hebrew, is actually, hey, Mr. So-and-so. Like, hey, Anonymous, come here. The only reason this would have been done would be because the writer was like, hey, you did not, you didn't do what you were supposed to and redeem this family. I'm not even going to give you a name. And so he is left out without even a name. His name will not be remembered because he did not follow through on what God was doing. So that's just a, little, just a little side piece there. He's calling him, he says, friend, the NLT is, uh, is generous. But he says, hey, Mr. So-and-so, come here, I got to talk to you. So he sits down with him. And the first point that I want us to take note of, write down, if you're taking notes, put this in your mind, if you're listening, is are you anticipating what God is up to? Right now, in your context, as you're sitting here and you're thinking about a million different things or you're listening and you're trying to think, how does this apply to my life? Are you anticipating what God is up to? Because God is always up to something. God is constantly moving. God is constantly calling us to walk along with him, to unite, renew, and restore whatever context we're in. If you're in a classroom, if you are in a workplace, if you just got married, if you are thinking about marriage, if you are thinking about changing a job, God is constantly calling you. To walk along with him. Are you anticipating what he's up to? Boaz is anticipating what God is up to. He sees God is doing something. I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to sit at the town gate. I'm going to call a meeting and we're going to get this business handled because I need to redeem this woman. I need to redeem this family. It is my purpose to do this thing. What is your purpose to do in this life? Are you anticipating what God is doing in your life? Or are you just breezing by? Are you just kind of like, I don't know. I'm just here to party, chill, kick it, whatever, see what God does down the road. But right now, you know, I don't want to be tied down to any specific plan. (laughs) Sound familiar? Are you anticipating what God is up to? Are you spending time with God to ask him, God, lead me and guide me. Show me where you want me to go. Show me how you want me to live. Show me who you want me to go to. Boaz is anticipating what God is up to. Boaz, the one thing I, I see about him that, that kind of gets missed is he's going around, he's talking to his harvesters, he's talking to his uh, workers, he's, he's with people. He's seeking opportunities to do good because he's with people. If you've been a follower of Christ for a while and you're like, yeah, I've been following God, you know, I've, I've kept myself back from all the riffraff, all the craziness that goes on in the world, all the mess. You need to be involved. Are you looking for good opportunities? Are you looking for opportunities to do good where you are? So this other redeemer, Mr. So-and-so, he's called over. And right from the get-go, we see that Boaz has a tactic in mind. And he approaches this from a land ownership type of perspective. He says, look, okay, hey, you are the closer redeemer. You are the one who actually should be marrying Ruth, but he doesn't say that. He just says, you should be taking this land. You see, the kinsman redeemer, it was a system that was set up long before, and this system was set up to protect families. There was 12 tribes in Israel, and each of those 12 tribes was given a piece of land, and from that piece of land, each family within each tribe was given a piece of land. So you had these little parcels of land set up. And these pieces of land were supposed to stay within the family forever. And so God set it up in such a way that after 50 years, if that land was lost, that land would be recovered back from the original family. But not just the land, but the people and the lineage. Do y'all know what lineage means? Like you make children through a lineage. The other word for it is posterity. The people, the property, and the posterity would be redeemed. Now, 50 years is a long time. I'm 30. I just turned 30. Praise God I made it to 30. Thank you. I still get told I look like I'm 16. So I think maybe by the time I'm 60, I look like I'm 30. But 50 years is a long time. So if a family loses its land, its identity, it's got to wait 50 years for it to be redeemed back to it. Well, God puts in a kinsman redeemer, a family redeemer, that says if you have a close relative, they can step in and say, I will buy back this land and this property and these people back and restore them to where they were supposed to be. Now listen to me. This is about the Old Testament, but this is talking about Jesus redeeming us, stepping in and buying us back, restoring us back to our original purpose and intent. And so this kinsman-redeemer title involved not just buying of land, but it also involved receiving of people and extending the line of the family member by having children through them. And so, Boaz starts by saying, look, you can buy this land. It's here, it's for you. What do you say? Do you want to redeem it? The other guy's like, "Uh, yeah, I'll take extra land, thanks. And he immediately responds to The idea of the land, the property. He responds to the idea of, I get to get something from this. Now, if you're sitting here, and again, you're going, I don't get how this responds or how this relates to me. At what point in time have you been called into something God is calling you into? And you go, well, what do I get out of this? Can I get something out of this? How does this benefit me? If it's cool to me, if it's going to increase my inheritance, if it's going to make me look better if it's going to make me a little more wealthy and healthy i'm cool i'm with it is this gospel going to make me the better version of me and the first kinsman the first family member goes yeah i'll take that that sounds good we'll read on in the next verse verse five and six then boaz told him of course your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children, the lineage, who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Hold up. Wait a minute. No, 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 not, nope, nope. not going on. Hold up! Wait. Hold up. What did you just say? Uh, then I can't redeem it the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I can't do it. So Boaz sets it up. He says, look, here's this land. You can buy it. Do you want it? Yeah, I'll take it. Wait a minute. I'm not finished. You get the land, but you also take the wife And you have to make children through her, and her kids will be a part of your inheritance. So all that money you got stored up for you and your family, they got to split up, and they get it too. Whoa, hold up, just a second. You should have started with that. You, You didn't lead with the right thing. This kinsman redeemer, he is all in when it comes to receiving property and receiving an increase of his estate. But when it comes to giving up and a sacrifice, when it comes to saying, I will be a part of something bigger that goes beyond just my estate, that goes beyond my time, I'm going to be a part of something bigger that goes far into the future. He says, nah, you know what, this is going to endanger my comfort. This is going to press into my checkbook I'm just tabulating. If she, what if she's like really fertile and she has like 20 kids? All of a sudden, that like, you do, the, you carry the one, you multiply. I don't even know calculus. This is not going to work. Not going to work. Not going to do it. The kinsman redeemer backs out when it when it becomes a risk to his reputation. When it becomes a little uncomfortable for him to be a part of this bigger thing that's happening. And he says, no, 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 I I can't redeem it, because this might endanger my own estate. And this brings me to my second point. Do you trust? Are you trusting what God is up to? The first point is, are you anticipating? Do you have a mind for where God is going, where he's leading you, what he's calling you into? The second one is, are you trusting? Because it's one thing to anticipate and to plan, it's a whole nother issue to step into it and say, okay, I'm now putting my future, my well-being, my plans, my reputation in with you, God. So about two years ago, right about, I well, know, I guess it's about three years ago. Yeah, three years ago, when Third Street was starting, um, I, I've always seen myself being a nurse practitioner. I've always seen myself working in that role. Um, being in the community, working with individuals, uh, advancing healthcare, talking to people about health promotion, and and going on mission trips, and taking teams with me, and teaching other nurses and other nursing students how to embody the, how to embody godliness in your profession as a nurse. So I wanted to go back to school. See, I was like, I'm going to do what it takes to go back to school, and I got this email. Checked it up, opened it up, says, hey, do you want to I'm not going to mention what the situation was, but basically said, do you want to work for us for three years, contract, we'll pay for you to go to school. The only thing is, you don't get to choose where you go. I was like, okay, uh, this seems like God, like I'm here, this is, this is, this is okay, I'm going to pursue this, I pursued it. sat down with my wife, we had a conversation about it, we're like, well, this, this could be okay, I mean, it's going to be a little bit of a sacrifice, a risk. What are the pros and cons? We made a pros and cons list, because that's, that's what you do, and we prayed about it. We sat down, we talked to Corey and Rachel about it, and it was the time when Third Street was getting ready to launch, and they were, like, very supportive and gracious as they are, but I could tell, it was like, ah, I don't think this is what God has for you. So we sat on it for a little while. We t- let family know about it. We talked to them about it, and then about two days later, and I don't know what happened. I never asked my brother James about this, but James Pastor up in Akron, one of my good friends, he posted this thing on Facebook, and it just had this passage, Philippians 2, 3 to 4. And I'd been really wrestling with whether I was being selfish, whether I was pushing this too much. And this passage just said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. And what that said to me in that moment was I needed to take my hands off the reins. I needed to stop trying to control where God was taking my life, and I needed to let him do what he was going to do. Last week, Corey talked about follow through and let God do the rest. My job was to follow through on the things that he'd given me, on the place that he'd put me, in the hospital system, with the community that he'd given me. This church was just getting started. And so it was a really difficult decision, but I I had to step back from this potential situation. They would be paying for me to go back to school. They would pay for a stipend. I would be able to, to, to work and go to school. It was like the perfect financial situation, and I'm like, yeah. But it would mean leaving my community. It would mean leaving what God was up to, that I knew he was up to something. But it would mean leaving that to pursue my own track. Long story short, God works out things in some miraculous and crazy ways. I had to sacrifice a few things, like mainly sleep at this point. I had to sacrifice a few things in order to get, I think, what would be like a mind-blowing provision of being paid for to go to school and having a job security afterwards of being able to work in the community in which I live and love. And to me, it was It's almost as if God was like, I have got you, just trust me. It's not going to look as nice and neat and put in a bow the way you think it should be, but I have got you. And it took me having to step back and look at things from a godly perspective and say, God, what are you up to, and am I trusting in you to work out my future? Am I trusting in you to make things right? Am I trusting in you to redeem what I see as maybe a really messy situation. And so I, have, I, have to, I just have to stop because I think that passage, Philippians 2, 3 to 4, should be a mainstay in all of our lives that when we're thinking about how we should progress in life or what we should do next or whether this situation works out in our best interest, stop and wonder whether, hey, is this out of selfish ambition? Is this out of my own need to impress others? Or am I considering how this is going to affect how God wants to use me right here, right now. So Boaz puts that out there. Kinsman number one is not trusting. He's like, nah, I don't want it. You go ahead. Boaz says, yes, great. I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and make this proclamation now. No take backs. <laughs> I felt like you should have said, like, no take backs. And so we read in chapter 7, verse 7 to 11, the ceremonial side of this and the final, met- the final point that I have. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer took off his sandal and said, as he handed it to Boaz, You buy the land. Then, Boaz, to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Chilion, and Mahlon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Mahlon, to be my wife, this way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the property here in this hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah From whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephraprah and be famous in Bethlehem. (laughs) Don't know how to say that word? Not even on track. May you prosper there. So, what's happening? What's happening? What is what with this proclamation? What is happening in this proclamation? My third point is are you proclaiming what God is up to? First point, are you anticipating what God is up to? Second point, are you trusting what God is up to? Third point, are you proclaiming what God is up to? Boaz has just put his trust in God to see this plan through. And as is customary, we see this public proclamation, proclamation of what just happened. We see that the ceremonial event here symbolizes the transfer of power. But the biggest thing here that I see in this passage It's Boaz just doesn't say, yeah, I'll take all this land and everything that comes with it. What does he do? He names the people that he is redeeming. He names them. He names Ruth. He doesn't just say, I'll take the land and the persons and the posterity. He names the individuals. He says, I am going to marry Ruth. And I'm going to redeem Malon, who passed away. I'm going to redeem Naomi. I'm going to redeem Chiliana. I'm going to redeem the whole family. He names them. He calls out Ruth's purpose and her place in the redeeming work. He says, I'm redeeming this family, but Ruth is going to bear children, and they're going to be part of the line, and they're going to bless the world because of her virtue. He names her, he gives her a purpose, and then finally he places upon her the inheritance. He says all of of what he has will be through her line. Who else does this for us? In what you're doing, in what 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 you're in, in what your background is, in what your story is, do you know that God is naming you? He's calling you out by name. He wants you as an individual to be a part of his redeeming work and he is saying you i want you yes you to be a part of my redeeming work and i want to give you a purpose in whatever you're doing wherever you are however small your your place is that you think i you know i don't have much to give i don't have much of a story my background's real messy god is calling you out he wants to give you a purpose and he wants to give you an inheritance he says that anyone who believes in him will have a claim to the inheritance that is in Jesus. And so if you call on his name, if you receive him as your Savior, as your Redeemer, you get to experience the presence of God for eternity. And currently, you get to experience his peace and the Holy Spirit guiding and moving your life in ways that you could not even imagine. Now, if that doesn't wake you up and get you thinking about, man, I need to start thinking, where is God moving, and how can I get there? Then I need to check your pulse, because there is something powerful about God calling us individually, looking us in the eyes, and saying, I'm calling you to a greater purpose. I'm calling you to a greater work, and not something of your own doing, but something that I'm already doing. I am already here. I'm already moving. Just come on. Join me in that. God is calling us. He's giving you purpose. He wants you to share in the inheritance eternally, knowing his presence, and currently sharing that, proclaiming that wherever you are, in your families, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your neighborhoods. Because that is how we unite this world that is so divided and so broken. That's how we renew the broken places, the broken past, the division and hate that exists in this world, and that is how we restore the kingdom of God to its original intent. There's something amazing here that happens to Ruth, and you'll miss it if you don't pay attention. The fact that Ruth gets named, first of all, by Boaz, but then she gets celebrated by this community. This is redemption. Ruth comes in as an outside woman, an outsider. She's a foreign woman. Women do not even have a say at that time in culture, as it is, yet let alone a foreigner. And she comes in, and in Ruth 1.16, she says, I am not leaving you, Naomi. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. She makes that claim from the beginning. And at the, pa- at the end of chapter 4, in verse 11, the community blesses her, and they receive her, and they welcome her, and they say, may the Lord bless you. They receive her as if she's one of her own. They even invoke the name of Rachel and Leah, the matriarchs of the, of the Jewish people. They give her a new identity and a new name, and they give her a new purpose. If you've seen God working in wherever you're doing, if you've seen God working, if you're claiming to be a believer in Christ, have you, first of all, received that new name? Have you received that new purpose? Are you anticipating what he is up to? Are you trusting in him to work things out, taking the hands off the reins and saying, God, you go to work. Let me follow through. You go to work. And then lastly, are you proclaiming it? I'm not saying you should get on a soapbox and tell people, you need Jesus, repent! Because usually that's the kind of reaction you get, right? What I'm saying is that in your context, context-specific, in your context, where you are, are you living out your life in such a way that people smell the sweet aroma of Jesus? Your kindness, your generosity, your justice, your love, your patience. Your patience. Your joy. Are people experiencing Jesus through you and is your life proclaiming what he has done for you, in you, and through you?